Good morning. Good morning. Wow. You all are mighty enthusiastic crowds, small but mighty. I appreciate that. My name is Reverend Angela Wells-Bean. I serve as your minister for congregational care, and it is my privilege to do so. Whether you are joining us here in the sanctuary or online, we are so thrilled that you're with us on this Sunday morning. And I want to extend a special welcome to our congregation at Bentley Village, who's worshiping with us. Thank you for being here as well. I hope you'll take a moment to register your attendance with us this morning. There should be attendance pads at the end of every pew. Please take it, sign your name, and pass it along the pew to your neighbor. And if you're worshiping with us online, please take a moment to put your name in the comments section so that we can extend our welcome to you as well. Um, You might have noticed that I am not Dawson. (laughs) He is not with us this morning. He's away visiting family. He will be back in the pulpit next Sunday, again at 9 and 11, our first Sunday of the new year, and we will be celebrating Epiphany. So please join us next week. Um, You also might have noticed that the lovely individual who walked up with me is not Reverend Rich Kirchner. He was not able to be with us this morning because of health concerns. So I'm very grateful that our director of children's ministries, Meryl, Meryl Noble, was willing to step in at the last minute and be our liturgist. So thank you, Meryl. And as a growing congregation, let us center our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship. Like Mary and Joseph, we want to protect the child Jesus. We want him to be safe and sound. And when something unexpected happens, we are frightened. We wonder what we should have done differently. On this first Sunday of Christmas, let us remember that God is ever with us and we are called to put our trust in God as we grow in our own faith. Please stand and join us in the first opening carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Please join me in the invocation, which is printed in your bulletin. God is telling a story in our lives, full of promises God makes and our struggles to trust, full of mystery and angels with surprising news. We will join all creation in worshiping the God who tells it full of grace and truth, who comes in Jesus, the word made flesh, and makes our story holy. Amen. So before I lift up some announcements, I want to take a moment of personal privilege and extend my gratitude to the choir and everyone in our music ministry for all that they did on Christmas Eve. Yes, let's give them a round of applause. If you were able to come to one of our services on Friday night, you heard the beautiful music, and now multiply that by four, because we had four services, and that takes a lot of strength and stamina. Um, So thank you, Dr. Becky, for your leadership, and for all of you choir members, and for having the energy to be back. (laughs) Thank you for being with us today. Um, 
Now I do have a few announcements that I want to share. The first is that next Sunday is Cans for Communion. It's the first Sunday of the new year, first Sunday of the month, um, which means we have communion and we will be collecting non-perishables for our mission partner, Grace Place. So as you're doing your shopping this week, please put a few extra things in your cart for our mission partner and bring those with you next Sunday. They would greatly appreciate it. Um, The... Don't think that because Christmas is over, our church is experiencing some sort of post-holiday slump because we're not. There are lots of ways to plug in right after the start of the new year. We have volunteering opportunities with the Harry Chapin Food Bank and with Habitat for Humanity. Um, In mid-January, I'm starting an eight-week grief group for those who are grieving. So if that speaks to you, feel free to join us. And then at the end of January, literally on January 31st, we have scheduled a dinner for people for Guatemala to highlight our mission partnership with that organization. So there's lots going in right at the start of the new year. Please keep your eyes on the bulletin and the weekly emailings to see if any of these opportunities speak to you. And I have been asked on behalf of our finance and stewardship folks to lift up a quick financial reminder. If you are making your year-end gifts to the church, please remember they must be made online or postmarked by December 31st. We don't have to receive them by December 31st. They just have to be postmarked, and that is this Friday. Or if you want to drop your end-of-year gifts off at the church, please do so on Thursday the 30th because our offices will be closed on New Year's Eve. And thank you in advance for your abundant generosity. Let us now continue in worship through the gift of music. This morning, Holy One, we come to you as your beloved children to pause and pray. We are on the precipice of something new. We are between Christmas and the new year, between gift unwrapping and cleaning up, between endings and beginnings. In this in-between time, we pause and remember that we are yours and we always will be. We pause and remember that we pray in your name and we seek your love so that we might freely give it away to others. We pause so that we might see the world through the eyes of a newborn child full of wonder and through the eyes of a teenager full of healthy skepticism. We pause to remember that we come to church not for a specific service or season or Sunday, but we come each and every week because we need the consistent reminder that our identity in you is the most important. In the name of Christ, we pray for every person, every person living now, every person who's gone before us, and every person who is yet to come. We pray for every nation on earth and for all of creation. We pray for those who are celebrating, those who are grieving, those who are struggling, or some combination thereof. We offer all of our prayers in the name of the one who was born and his who is growing up before our very eyes, Jesus Christ, who first taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture comes from Luke chapter 2. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual to the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went on a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. May God bless our understanding of these holy words. Congratulations. You have all earned an extra gold star in your heavenly crowns for coming to church today. <laughs> I am pretty sure that this Sunday, along with the Sunday after Easter, are the days that God uses to separate the wheat from the chaff and the goats from the sheep. So well done. Well done for being here on this Sunday after Christmas. But that leaves the question, now what? The preparations are over, the presents have been unwrapped, a meal has been eaten, the leftovers are in Tupperware in the fridge. What do we do now? Well, the Gospel of Luke has the perfect answer for our post-Christmas blues. The Gospel writer offers us Jesus the preteen. As we watch Jesus begin to transition from child to adult, this story invites us to think about the development of our own faith and our own identities. In this story, Jesus went on a pilgrimage with his parents. They traveled for more than five days to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the seven-day festival of Passover. Now, this story takes place after the festival is over. They have begun their journey back to Galilee. And as a matter of safety, Jesus and his family probably traveled en route back to Galilee with a caravan of other people, friends and relatives. 
So Mary and Joseph probably presumed that their elder son was walking with another friend or family member, but such was not the case. As with any 12-year-old, Jesus is walking the line between asserting his independence and still being a child. He deemed himself old enough to stay behind in the temple and have adult conversations with the priests. One of the problems is that he did not extend to his parents the courtesy of telling them what he was doing. So they are traveling along back to Galilee and they realize no one has seen Jesus in a while. I imagine it was one of those parental situations where the parents are talking to each other and they each say, I thought he was with you. Well, I thought he was with you. So needless to say, his parents go into panic mode once they realize Jesus is missing. And to add another layer of anxiety to his parents' situation, the road they were traveling on was known for being dangerous and full of thieves. So not only is their son missing, but he's missing in a dangerous area. And so they frantically look for him among family and friends, and when he still isn't found, they do the next logical thing. When anything is missing, they return to the place where they last saw him, which was at the temple in Jerusalem. And sure enough, there is their son sitting and talking with the religious teachers. In this story, we see that Jesus is developing a deeper identity with God, with the priests, and with the Jewish high holy days. The passage right after this one in the Gospel of Luke is a famous passage in which John the Baptist prepares the people for Jesus' upcoming ministry, and then right after that, John baptizes Jesus in the River Jordan. And I tell you that so you realize that this is the one pivot story we get in all the Gospels that carries us from Jesus as the, in, the newborn infant lying in the manger to his ministry as an adult. This is the one story that we get between infancy and adulthood, and it's only in the Gospel of Luke, and it's Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. Now, although Jesus does return home with his parents because he is not yet old enough to be a rabbi, we can see that his allegiances are starting to shift from his family of origin to his calling from God. Many people in the Bible experienced seminal moments when they knew God was calling them to do something great. And maybe this is Jesus' moment when he is sitting with the priests in the temple. This might have been the first time in which he really had the emotional and intellectual maturity to understand that he was being called to do something very significant with his life. The writer of Luke's gospel knew the call stories of the Jewish patriarchs and prophets such as Moses and David and Elijah and Jonah. And any good communicator knows that the best way to sell a new idea is to frame it among familiar ones. And so I think that might be why this story was included in this specific gospel. The writer was trying to convince his Jewish audience that Jesus is as important as their Jewish patriarchs and prophets. 
However, there were also Gentiles in the audience, and so this story also echoes heroic Roman leaders like Augustus. The Gentiles would have known that at the age of 12, Augustus gave the funeral oration for his grandmother, Julia Caesareus, the sister of Julius Caesar. And so the writer is, of the gospel is demonstrating that Jesus carries the qualities that will make him an extraordinary leader like the Jewish patriarchs and like the Roman emperors. And in fact, he's trying to cast Jesus as superior to Augustus. Jesus is the new promised Caesar appointed not by the Roman Senate, but by God. And he's trying to make the case that even from this young age, Jesus was so important because Jesus' followers had to take extraordinary risk in order to worship him. It was unpopular to be a Jesus follower in the first few hundred years after Jesus was killed, and it would have been easier for them to be Jewish or to just stay Gentile. And so the writer of the gospel is reminding them that Jesus is set apart, and all the work that they have to do and sacrifices they have to make to follow him in occupied lands are worth it. Their religion was their primary identity, and it infused every aspect of their life. What they ate, who they spent time with, how they spent their money, what they did, all of these decisions that we make day in and day out were decided in conversation with their faith. Now, this is the week after Christmas, and it's an appropriate time for us to think about our primary identity. You know, we're about to begin a new year. We might be taking stock of our lives, reflecting on the year that's passed, thinking about who we want to be and what we want to do in this next year. And yesterday, upwards of a billion people around the world celebrated Christmas, including many people who don't identify as Christian. I know that in my own extended family, there are people who celebrated Christmas, but if you ask them, are you a Christian, they would say no. So here we are on the Sunday of after Christmas, traditionally one of the least attended Sundays of the year. And so does that make us more devout Christians? Yes? Okay. <laughs> I don't think the depth of our faith should be directly predicated upon how many weeks out of the year we go to church, but it's one barometer. It is. How we spend our time is an indicator of our values. So if we go to church more, maybe it is because we consider being Christian one of our primary identities. Jesus was asserting himself to his parents, telling them presu presumably for the first time that his identity was changing. He was moving from Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, to Jesus, son of God. And his primary priority is no longer the will of his parents, but the will of God and the mission that that entails. The earliest Christians were swimming upstream in dangerous waters in how they worshipped him. They needed to cling to their faith because they lived under Roman occupation, and it was very risky to be a Jesus follower. Now, how many of us think about being Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week? How many of us allow our Christian identity to influence every decision we make day in and day out? 
I'm a pastor, and I'll be honest with you. With every decision I make, I don't think about my Christian identity. We are lucky that we don't have to constantly assert our religious beliefs or defend our faith because this means they aren't threatened in our culture. But the danger is that when we are in the religious majority, we can lose our faith. It can blend into the rest of our lives like wallpaper. Being Christian slips into the back of our minds and melts into our other identities. We are Christians just as we are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandparents, engineers, nurses, teachers, etc., But is being Christian and following Christ on the same level as all the other roles we inhabit? I would argue that it should be the foundation for all of those other roles. I am not just a mother or a sister or a spouse. I am a Christian mother, a Christian sister, a Christian daughter, a Christian spouse. And coming to church every week, even when we don't feel like it, even in these unpopular weeks like the Sunday after Christmas, These help us keep our primary identity front and center. So may this in-between Sunday be not just another task in our list of weekly obligations, but may it be a true opportunity to remind ourselves why we come week after week. Because just as Jesus was a child of God first and son of Mary and Joseph second, we are Christians first and all else second. Amen. Generous God, we return to you a portion of all that you have blessed us with. May our offerings remind us that we give not because we should or because we have to, but because our primary identities are rooted in you. Please bless these gifts. Please bless those who generously gave them and bless those whose lives will be changed because of them. Amen. Beloved ones, as you are reflecting on the year gone by and the year ahead, I invite you to think about how your identity as a Christian will play into the next year. And may you know that you are a beloved child of God. You are created in God's image. And I pray that you go in peace. Amen.